All right. Well, again, good morning. Uh, great to see you. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Paul's letter uh, to the Philippians. Uh, if you've been with us a while, you know that for, uh, I guess, just over a month, it's almost been two months, actually, uh, we've been studying this letter to the church at Philippi, which is located uh, in modern-day Greece. And while we know that Paul writes this in Roman imprisonment, uh, we also know it's filled with warmth, with love, with pastoral encouragement, uh, ultimately uh, with this charge to find your greatest joy, uh, your greatest hope in Jesus. It's a great letter, and I hope you've come to realize that already, uh, but it's definitely worth a very, very deep study. And so today, uh, we're going to do that. We're going to continue that. And uh, we're only going to cover, actually, two verses today. Just two verses, uh, the verses that were read, verses 12 to 13 of chapter 2. Uh, and the reason we're only covering two, uh, two verses today uh, is because uh, I believe that these two verses are just so uh, relevant to us. That the subject matter here is just so uh, practical uh, to us in our everyday lives, our everyday experience. Uh, these verses, what I hope you'll see today, that these verses... Uh, answer for us things like, um, what is our role in following Jesus? Um, And what is God's role in that? Or um, to what extent um, is our growth, our maturity, our overcoming sin in our life, to what extent is that our responsibility? And to what extent is that God's responsibility? These are central issues that are relevant And affect our everyday lives. And so I want to take the time uh, to focus in on this today. Um, We have a lot to cover. You'd be surprised how much uh, we have to work through today for just two verses. And so I'm just going to jump right into this. Are you ready? Are you ready to do that? I'll ask again. Are you ready? Ready? Okay. You just came off a chew sock. You'll get there. Let's do it. All right. Paul begins this way in verse 12. He says this. Therefore... My beloved, and we'll stop there. Uh, now, when we break up passages, when we break up passages uh, week to week, which is typically what we do, um, doesn't matter the church you attend, um, that when we teach or when there's preaching, we're breaking up uh, passages. And even when we read our own Bibles, like maybe you woke up this morning and you were in God's Word, or maybe tonight you'll be in God's Word, we break up passages. And when it's and when we do that, it's easy to forget that there is a larger context that every passage finds itself in. And that context is incredibly important. And so when we read this, uh, this text today, and we see the word, therefore, we've talked about this before, but we can't just isolate this text and try to figure out what it means. That wouldn't help us, actually. That, That we understand that Paul says, therefore, Because what is about to be said is closely connected to what was previously said. And so to understand what's coming, we need to make sure that we understand what came before. Now, we weren't in Philippians uh, last Sunday. We took a week off for for Tusok. Pastor Kerry talked about Thanksgiving. But if you remember uh, two uh, weeks ago, uh, Paul was, was... writing here, and he's, he's so passionate in this section of Scripture. Uh, Pastor Levi did a great job uh, sharing uh, from, from this initial part of uh, chapter 2 for us, that, that Paul, he, he, he brings us into this reality, uh, this profound beauty of Jesus' incarnation, his, his justification, and his glorification. Again, Levi did a great job teaching through this, the first part of chapter 2, but I want to make sure that we're on the same page going into today's passage to really get the the, the feel and the flow of this and where we're headed. And so remember, Paul said this just a few verses ago in verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. How? How did he empty himself? By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so Paul here is talking about the incarnation of Jesus. He's talking about God becoming 
flesh. I mean, this is just stunning, right? Unimaginable news that the creator God became part of his creation. And this just, this wasn't just like a stunt, right, uh, on his behalf. It wasn't like, hey guys, like, look what I can do. I'm here, right? I'm God, I'm man, right? In and out. That's not what that's about, right? This was an expression of God's tenacious love for his people. God became flesh to save us and to make us his own, right? That's his incarnation, And then Paul, he moved on from that. In verse 8, he says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that there is a reference, of course, to his justification. That in obedience, Jesus died in our place, taking our penalty for our sin on the cross. He bore our wrath that we rightly deserved for our Rebellion, right? In order to why? To justify us, to declare us not guilty. And that's such good news, right? That's his justification. We're going to keep going. Verse 9, therefore God has done what? Highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, so now Paul is talking about the exaltation of Jesus and the reality that, this is the reality that Jesus, not only did he rise from the dead, but he also ascended into heaven. That he was given the name that is above every name. And he's given all the authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth. No one past or present or future has more power or more authority or more beauty or greater glory than Jesus. That's what Paul is getting at here. This passage leaves us just with this this idea. Paul's on fire here, actually. He's so passionate. He's leaving us with this idea. Jesus is great. He's majestic. He is worthy. He is exalted. And there is a day coming that every single eye will see, every single knee will bow, every single tongue will confess that Jesus is in fact Lord of all. This is what the Apostle Paul has just said to the church. That's been read out loud to the church. And now, from that, he says, therefore, my beloved. That's the context here. In, in light of the supreme, all-surpassing worth of Jesus, Paul moves into our passage and he writes this. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Why do you say that? Again, Paul is away from them. Right? He's in prison. But now he encourages them. He says, I'm away from you. I'm in prison. But... Here's the encouragement. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And it's that last phrase that I want to isolate this morning and and really focus on. Work out your own salvation. This is so important. That word work there, it means uh, continuous, sustained labor or, or effort. Ongoing effort. That's what it means And that word salvation, of course, is a reference to our eternal salvation found in Jesus. It's it's in regards to the forgiveness of sins by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And notice, uh, we need to get get this. We've got to understand this from the very beginning. Notice, Paul doesn't say, work for your salvation. He doesn't say that. But rather, he says, work for. Out your salvation, not work for, but work out. Right? Remember, Paul has just unpacked prior to this all that Jesus is and all that he has done for us. His incarnation, his justification for sins, his exaltation. Right? We are saved by Jesus' work for us, not our work for him. And so we have to understand from the very kind of onset of this passage, 
that this isn't about, that's why we can't take it in isolation, this isn't about how we are saved, but about how saved people, how followers of Jesus live out their salvation. So Paul is essentially telling the church, he's saying this, in light of your salvation, because of what Jesus has done for you, give faith-filled effort towards that reality. It's basically the same thing that he said back in chapter 1, verse 27, where he said this, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Right? Remember, we, we spent a long time unpacking that. And now here, he, he's essentially telling us how to do that. He's saying, we do that, we do that, we, we let our lives be worthy of the gospel by working out our salvation. That because of the truth of the gospel, who God is, Paul is encouraging us here to take some responsibility in this work. He's saying there is effort involved in applying salvation to our lives. Or you could say it this way, that there is obedience involved in applying salvation to our lives. That certainly, yes, it is true that all of the benefits of the gospel are ours freely by grace. They are undeserved gifts to us. Listen, when, when you put your faith in Jesus as Lord, you get a new di- uh, identity, brand new. Right? You, you freely receive sonship or, or, or you become a daughter. Right? Forgiveness of sins, free to you. You, you receive future glory, right? On and on and on. But, but, it is our job. It's, it, we have work to do. It's our job to, to work those realities out, to obey the Lord, so that those realities become uh, tangibly who we are in our everyday lives. Right? And so, so, listen, we have to be careful. We have to be very careful with this. We have to be careful that salvation in Jesus is not separated or divorced from who we are becoming and how we're living. Right? That very much so, right, God's grace to us should lead us to right living. Right? Now, I, um, I don't know about you. Maybe some of you have this experience on one side or the other. But I personally, I grew up in a church, uh, in a church context where obedience uh, was required. Obedience was required. Um, it was actually fear-based. Um, you, you had to obey. And, and, and if, if I didn't obey, or, or if, if I fell into sin, I was taught that it affected not only my ability to be in that community, but also my salvation. Right? Obedience is required. The, the teaching there was that you obey to be accepted, to be loved, and to be welcomed by God and by the community. Right? But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Right? That's not biblical obedience. No way. Right? We know that God made us and life to operate and to flourish in a very particular way. And the Bible is clear that if we follow that path, if we obey, it does not harm us. It does not restrict our fun or our joy, but actually it maximizes, enhances our joy, our happiness, and our sense of meaning and purpose in this life. Let me see if I can simplify this for us. It's not easy to do, to always simplify theological truths, but I'll try um, have you ever played the game Monopoly? Right? Of course you have. Who hasn't? It's universal, right? Everybody's played Monopoly. Um, it's a great game. Some of you maybe disagree because you lose all the time, but it's a great game. <laughs> it's a great game. Uh, lots of fun. But at the same time, right, we know that there are specific instructions, rules, and restrictions that need to be followed to play the game properly, right? 
And of course, we know this, right? Uh, easier for some of us to understand than others. But following the rules of the game don't ruin the game. Right? They actually enhance our experience and make it really enjoyable to play with, with family and friends. Right? That if you don't follow the rules, it's just chaos. It just doesn't make any sense. And in a much more significant way, this is kind of how God calls us into obedience. God established rules and instructions for life. And if we follow those instructions, right, it doesn't ruin our lives, right, but actually enhances our experience of, of life and our joy in this life. Right? And again, I know, I know this can be a, a sensitive topic, right, especially for those who come from maybe a more legalistic experience. Right? All this talk about obedience and, and holiness and actively pursuing and working towards God can make us a little bit uh, uncomfortable, again, because we're afraid of, of rules, because it reminds us of legalism. But again, that's not what we're talking about here. It's not what Paul is talking about here. We aren't talking about earning anything, actually. We're talking about pursuing our king for the purpose of maximizing our joy and his glory. And so we might say it this way when it comes to obedience, that obedience, obedience is just an outward display and a working out of what is already true of us in Jesus. Or perhaps it just makes sense for me to say it this way, that the essence, the essence, the very essence of following Jesus is that we're actually following Jesus. That we're we're making movement towards him, not just acknowledging facts about him, but that we're actually obeying him working out our salvation. And I'm thankful Paul does this, but just to clarify and to make sure that we avoid any confusion with this, this topic, Paul circles around and says this in verse 13. He says this, for, or you could say because, for it is God who does what? Who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what he is saying here is, that the, that the underlining, that, or, or that underlining, our, our outworking, the outworking of our salvation, there is a deeper work taking place, namely, right, the work of God. Right? Do you see that in the text? It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for or because it is God, God himself, who works in you. Which means that all of our work, all of our effort, is ultimately the result of God who is at work in us. The tense of that verb work there, by the way, it's important. It's active. It's an active verb, meaning this is ongoing work that always achieves its purposes. That's the meaning of the word there. It means that God's work in you, in me, is tireless. There are no long weekends. There are no holidays, right? God's not like, eh, the Spirit's in you, I'm working in you, but it's Chusa, right? I got to be with the Trinity here. Hopefully you make it. That's not how it works, right? No long weekends, no holidays. He's always working within us. That the Spirit of God in us will will achieve his purposes. His work in you cannot fail. It cannot be stopped. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Amen? And how does this work within us? How does this work within us? Well, Paul actually tells us. He says, God works in you. How? To will and to work for his good pleasure. And that makes sense. That makes sense because obedience, obedience to God requires both willing and working. And God is the one who gives us the will and the ability to work for his good pleasure. And the background, the background here is important because, because the scriptures teach us that sin, sin has corrupted our ability to see, our ability to, to feel, to understand, and to live the way that we should. That by nature, by our very nature, and by choice, we see ourselves wrongly, 
we see others in our world wrongly, fundamentally, why? Because we see God wrongly. That's our nature. But when we trust Jesus, when we trust him as Lord, when we trust him as Savior, we know that he indwells us by the Holy Spirit. And what he does, it's amazing. He begins to rewire us from the inside out as we take the scriptures seriously and apply them to our lives. He progressively, right, this is sanctification, he progressively reshapes our will and our desires so that they fall in line, they get in line with his will and his desires. And then that, that fuels and empowers our obedience. Of course, we know, right, we'll still fight the flesh. We need to fight the flesh. We'll talk about that more in a little bit, right? That flat, the flesh, that part of us that is still not submitted to God, the part of us that still wants to go its own way, right? We're going to have a, a mixture of, of motives and, and conflicting desires for the rest of our time here on earth, right? But deep down, God, we know we can... We can be sure of this. He's faithful in this, that he is at work in us. That's what Paul's getting at. Right? He is working, and this is his work, meaning, meaning this, that we, we can't take any credit for this. Right? We don't even meet half, him halfway on, on this, right? Like he kickstarts the process of our salvation, And then at some point, we pick it up, like we take the baton and we get to finish it, right? No, not at all. This is all his work. All his work. God looked at humanity. He looked down at humanity. Sinners who had no interest, no desire in themselves to delight in him, to worship him, to live for him. And he chose, he chose to remove the blinders from our eyes so that we might turn and we might trust him. And more than that, again, he gives us the gift of the Spirit to indwell us so that we might progressively look more like him. But he did that. He does that. We didn't do that. He chose to do that for us. Why? Simply because he loves us. He saved you. You are here today. I am here today, despite all my sins, my failures, my heartache, despair, all my doubt, my weaknesses. I am here. You're here. He is working in us because he loves us. And by the way, by the way, that is why Paul, Paul adds to all of this that this work should be carried out with a spirit of fear and trembling because of that reality we just talked about. And of course, we have to understand, we have to know this, most of us do, but it's a good reminder. This fear here, this fear we're talking about here, it's not a fear, it's not the type of fear of, a, of like, like a sinner before a holy God. It's not a, a fear rooted in fear of judgment. Right, remember the audience here. Remember the context. Paul is speaking to Christians here. And we know, right, for Christians, for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what is it then? What is this fear then? Well, this is the, this is the awe of the true child of God before a powerful, gracious, loving father. It's this posture of your heart when in Christ you know, you understand, you truly understand that he loves you, that he will never harm you, that he will never reject you. Right? Listen, the, the one who spoke everything, all things into existence and upholds the universe by the power of his word, our redeemer, sustainer, savior, our hope, our only hope, he is at work in you. Right? That, should, that should absolutely like, wreck you. That should amaze you. Right? That should make you tremble right? at his feet. Right? How? If we understand that, how could we not be in awe? How can we not be awestruck, amazed by God? And so I'll sum it up this way. 
our effort, our effort is the effort of God in us. Or maybe I'll simplify it this way. God works it in, we work it out. God works it in, we work it out. And of course, I have to admit, I don't like this, but I will admit, there is some mystery there. My personality doesn't like that. I hate it, actually. I want it all, every dot, I dotted, T I want to understand this perfectly. There is some mystery here. And actually, right, it's not just here. This tension of God's work, our work, his part, our part, this tension is really all over the scriptures. For example, in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, it says this. You can listen, it won't be on the screen. It says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's an amazing, it's a great truth there. And that's God working in us, right? It's his divine power. It's him, him, him alone who has granted you and I everything that pertains to life, that's related to life and godliness. It's his work. But then it's interesting. Two verses later, Peter says this. For this reason, make every effort. Which, of course, is our working. Right? And there's so many more examples of this. But these verses here, within the scriptures, they're here because God intends, even though it is his work, ultimately, God intends that we play an active role in our growth. God works it in, we work it out. Again, I know that's a little confusing, but I'll try. I don't normally do two illustrations in a sermon, but I'm going to do that, right? Let me try with another illustration. This kind of thing, this message requires a little bit more work. See if I can help us here. When I was young, uh, maybe four, five years old, uh, my parents, uh, like a lot of parents, they wanted to teach me how to swim, okay? I don't know. That's especially in the States, like in America, that's a big deal. Like every kid's got to learn how to swim. There's a lot of water, I guess. I don't know. Especially if you're on the coast. We were in upstate New York. There was a lake, but it's very important, right, that I learned how to swim. So what did they do? They took me to the store to convince me. Um, I wasn't that excited about it, to be honest. Uh, But they took me to the store to buy a swimsuit. Hey, pick out your favorite color or whatever. Buy a swimsuit. And what did they do? They got me these goggles, right? And then they got me a couple of those floaties, you know, the ones, the ring ones that go around your, like, biceps, around your arms. And I remember they got me a ring, around my waist too, right? So I'm like ready to roll. And then they brought me um, in, our, in our town, small town. I grew up in a town, maybe like 7,000 people, like three stoplights. There was a community indoor pool though, right? In the next town over, which was like a seven minute drive. That's how small our town was. Brought me to this community pool for the purpose of me swimming. They bought the suit, they bought the goggles, they bought the floaties. They paid the admission into the community pool and then I got into the water, but my mom got in the water with me. And you know how parents do this, right? They kind of, they hold you, right? Holding you, and then they try to get you to go this way, right? And some kids like love it, and they go right in, and some kids freak out. I was a combination maybe, okay? So mom's holding me. She's in the shallow end. And with these floaties on, right? Again, mom holding me in the water, I'm in, the, I'm in the pool now, and I say what every kid says in that moment, and you'll know what I mean. What do they say? Look, Mom, I'm swimming, right? And I'm going, right? Of course, my mom is holding me the whole time, right? So my mom, though, she was loving, caring, still is, I mean, right? Uh, she said to me, good mom, wow, like, look at you go, right? Look at you go, you're swimming, kind of, right? Because I, I was kind of swimming, right? At least I was in the water flailing. Right? But we all really know. We know, right? My parents right, provided everything there, right? Everything. They bought the equipment. They brought me to the water. Uh, my mom had held me and cared for me while I was in the water. But with their work, I was swimming, I was flapping my arms, and, you know, they always say, kick, kick, kick. I don't know why. Like, what? I'm just, 
I have floaty design, right? I'm not going anywhere, but kick, kick your legs. I'm kicking my legs. And what am I doing? I'm making every effort to swim. And it's kind of, kind of, kind of like that with us. As we live our lives before God, we're just those kids flopping around the water with floaties on our arms, trying to get through this life while knowing God is there. He's holding us. He's got us. He's protecting us. He's loving us. He's providing everything for us to do the work. We work out what he works in. And so here's my suggestion Here's my suggestion. Here's how we, I believe, we should put this together and think about our role and God's role in following him, uh, how we go about maturing and overcoming sin. I hope this will be helpful to you. It's really our bottom line for today, but we have a little bit more to say. This, it's this. We must pursue. We must pursue and follow Jesus as though it's all up to us. It's how we should approach this. We must pursue and follow Jesus as if it's all up to us. Our salvation, our following, our obeying, as if it's all up to us, all the while trusting that it's really entirely up to him, that he's the one doing the work. So we work, we make effort while resting in his work and the effort that Jesus made for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Right? That's the tension that the scriptures paint for us. We rest, we should rest in in God's unceasing love, his perfect forgiveness, his absolute approval, and his immeasurable goodness to us in Jesus, all the while actively pursuing him, knowing at the end of the day it's all because of his gracious enablement that we're working at all. All right, well... I want to finish our time together today with some practical steps or advice here when it comes to working out our our salvation. Um, Just so I leave you with something a little bit more tangible, because a lot of this is sort of up in the air. It can seem uh, theoretical. So how do we go about this? How do we work out our salvation in our everyday lives? Uh, And honestly, honestly, a lot of this, a lot of this just can be summed up. It comes down to living by conviction. That's really what this is. It's learning to work through everyday sin and temptation. It's learning how to navigate the things of the world, learning how to navigate our flesh. And along with that, working out our salvation, it's coming to a place where we recognize that we don't experience Christ-like transformation by accident. A mentor uh, of mine years ago, he used to say this, and I repeat it a lot, but he used to say, you know, we don't just drift into discipleship. He would say that. I think that's really good. We don't get to become more like Christ. We don't love God more. We don't love people more just by accident or by happenstance. We don't drift into discipleship. Right? Look, in all my years, and that's been true, in all my years of following Jesus and in ministry, following Jesus for, I don't know, it's been 16, 17 years now, truly following him, been in ministry for 10 or 11 years. I mean, all my years of following Jesus and in ministry, I've never, never, never known anybody who just accidentally developed genuine, passionate, humble, beautiful, like a godly heart that had a love for God and a love for others. And I think we, we understand that. Again, we don't just naturally d- drift into becoming that person. Right? It takes work. It takes effort. And so, again, let me give you a couple principles. There are going to be four, I believe. A couple principles for how to work out our everyday salvation with fear and trembling. Another way to say this, really, is we're talking about sin. How do we put to death sin by trusting Jesus in our everyday Working out your salvation is really throwing off sin and walking in trust and faith in Jesus. How do we do that? Well, number one, it really starts with a refusal to entertain any thought of sin. That's where it starts. It's a refuse, it's a refusal uh, to entertain any thought of sin. Um, I hope you know this. Maybe this is enlightening, but uh, if you haven't thought about this process, this is true. Sin always begins in our mind. 
Whatever it is, whether it's bitterness or envy or lust or anxiety, like we just, we happen to, in our flesh, roll these types of things around in our minds, right? We think about them first, right? But when you start, that's where the battle begins. When you start to have those thoughts, the battle has begun, and you need to refuse, right? And this is what Paul is talking about when he says, take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. Restrain it. Put the uh, put the bit in its mouth, right? Like a horse, like a wild horse. Put the bit in its mouth. Restrain it. Make it obedient. Make your mind obedient. He's saying, refuse, refuse to entertain the thought of sin, right? And that's so wise. It's so wise because even from experience, I think we know it's so much easier to avoid the thought, the sinful thoughts than to go on and try to fight the sin or fight the temptation when it's fully blown or that opportunity is right in front of you. It's much harder to battle it there. And again, this isn't just about legalism, right? Like obey, submit, obey. That's not it. That's not it. Right? This is fighting and seeking to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we know what God has done for us and know who we are in Christ. Refuse to entertain any thought of sin. And number two, we repent and remember the gospel. You want to work out your salvation today? Um, it's a life of repentance. It's a life of remembering the gospel. Uh, again, you should know that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have two sets of desires. We talked about this briefly before. That's the Spirit within us and our flesh. Right? And it's very important to draw that distinction that those fleshly desires within you are not your friend anymore. Beyond that, it's actually not even you anymore. That, that used to be you. The flesh used to be you, but not anymore if you are in Christ. And so when evil and sin comes your way, we have to make a turn. We have to turn from them. And at the same time, we need to reaffirm the gospel. We have to remind ourselves of the gospel. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous pastor, in the last century in London, who said this. He said that we need to become proficient at preaching the gospel to ourselves. We have to become proficient at preaching the gospel to ourselves. Basically, what he was saying, if he was here today, standing up here, that'd be a great sermon. I'd love to sit down and listen to that. Probably better than me. But what he's ultimately saying is that much more so than you come, if you're part of Freedom Village, you come and you listen to Pastor James preach the gospel to you. Much more than you go on the internet or YouTube and you listen to other preachers preach the gospel to you. You need to become proficient. You need to become an expert at preaching the gospel to yourself. You need to be the number one preacher in your life. You know, I honestly believe, I was thinking about this to make sure I really believe this, but I, I do. I honestly believe that this is the root. This is the root, this right here the root of most of the problems that we face. That we listen to ourselves too much and we don't preach the gospel to ourselves enough. And so when we, when you, when we face trials, temptations, sin, or even when we fall into sin, you have to get good at reminding yourself of the truth. You have to, to say to yourself, be able to do this. Say to yourself, hey, James, you know, you remember, right? Jesus died for you. Your sins are forgiven and you are a blood-bought child of the king. James, he is good. God is good. He does good. And he is working within you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. James, he will, he will never let you go. You are not alone. Right? So we have to start preaching to ourselves, preaching the truth of the gospel to ourselves. It's a way to walk in the spirit, to, to fight sin, to work out our salvation. And then number three, move on to rejoicing in that goodness. Okay? That's another R if you're noticing the pattern. Refuse to entertain any thought of sin. Repent and remember the gospel. Number three, rejoice in his goodness. Listen, if you want to work out your salvation, if you want to follow Christ if you want to be a person who is, uh, is, is, is healthy in the way that they throw off sin, it just kind of falls off you like water off a duck's back, you need to learn to rejoice in the goodness of God. 
to rejoice in the gospel, to rejoice in all that is true of you, right? You need to meditate on the, the goodness of God so that God's goodness overcomes the false goodness that's being presented to you in that moment. Right? Ultimately, that's what really this battle is about. What is most good for you? Which is better for you? That's the battle. You only do things that you believe will lead you to joy. You only will do things that you believe are, are, are best for you, are good for you. That's how we're wired. And so in that moment, you have to make a decision, right? What is good? What is better? What is best? Right? So remember, rejoice in the goodness of God in those moments, and then hold on to that goodness until that temptation is gone, until it flees from you. Right? We have so much. We have so much to be thankful for. Right? Carrie preached on that uh, last week. Right? Go back and listen to it. God is so good. And so learn to be a person who has a spirit of rejoicing because God is worth rejoicing in. And then finally, how do we work out our salvation how do we put sin to death in our everyday lives? Uh, number four, reach out to others. Reach out to others. I feel like this idea um, actually keeps coming up uh, over and over again through this letter. Maybe that's God trying to tell us something together. Uh, but let's again remember that Paul is writing to, not individuals here, he's writing to the church here, right? He's not writing to a bunch of isolated individuals, of course, right, we know he's talking to individuals about working out their own salvation. But at the, at the same time, we know that we are to work out our salvation together, right? It's not like an independent thing. I've heard it said this way before, that our transformation is a community project. Right? Your transformation, your becoming more like Christ is a community project. Right? I like that. God has designed you, designed us this way, that we're not created to be alone. We are created and designed by God to be together, to need each other. Right? So what does that mean? Very practically, if you're struggling right now, you're struggling, um, you're, 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 you're searching, maybe you're lethargic right now, reach out to somebody. Right? Don't be ashamed to do that. Right? Satan wants to isolate you. He wants you to... To, to have a mindset of, you, you know, you need to figure it out by yourself. Like, you're mature enough, right? You shouldn't be in that place. Just reach out to somebody. Send a text to somebody. Send a cacao message to somebody, right? And if you're spiritually in a good place, in a healthy place right now, right, then, then, at the same, then you should also be reaching out to others, right? Knowing that you were once in their place or you're heading back in their place at some point, right? That's our spiritual life. There's there's ebbs and flows and, and peaks and valleys. So reach out to help others. Like right? We're in this. We're in this working out together. And so here's the thing. In all this, in all this, I want us to see, I want us to see, I really want you to understand today that in this working out of our salvation, or working out our salvation, there's nothing passive. There's nothing passive about this. Again, we don't just drift into discipleship. We don't naturally, you will not naturally just become more Christ-like. And so that means we need to put effort into working out our salvation with fear and trembling as we trust that God works, or God is at work in us. And we need to do this daily. We need to make this a habit daily, every single day, which of course isn't easy, right? It's not easy to do. This is really hard. Again, and it's a, it's a battle, actually. It's a battle. Like choosing to prioritize unhurried time with God routinely, it's a battle. Choosing to participate in a local church body through giving of your time, giving your talents, giving your resources, committing to do that weekly, routinely, it's a battle. It's a battle. Choosing to seek our deepest joy in Jesus. Choosing to rid ourselves of what we want for what he wants. Choosing to, to actually live our lives for Christ. Like actually putting effort into doing that. Choosing to, to actually following him wherever he wants us to go, whenever he wants us to go. Choosing, choosing to trust him enough 
to, to do what he said, to obey his commands daily. It's a battle. It's a battle. But listen, listen. We need to, we need to choose to live, out, to live our lives out of conviction, not out of convenience. I, I really felt strongly. I could go on this for a while, but I'm, I'm almost out of time. I'm probably over time. I actually put a little note there um, for myself because I was like, depending on my time, I could go another sermon on this. <laughs> but I really felt, feel like I really feel like God's speaking to me personally about this, maybe to you, maybe to our gathering as a whole in this season, that we need to choose. We have to start choosing to live our lives out of conviction, not out of convenience. That maybe, maybe the church as a whole, and I think, speaking to myself here, pastors are are certainly at fault here. We've actually... We've actually, in a lot of ways, we've avoided the topic of obedience for a lot of different reasons. Maybe because most of us have experienced legalism. Maybe because we don't want to push people away. Maybe because we have a strong emphasis on love and God's grace and his mercy towards you. All those things are true. But we're not teaching the fullness of the gospel if we don't understand that he said in Matthew 28, what's the, what's the, what's the mission? Go make disciples of the nations and do what? Baptize them and to do what? Teach them to do what? Obey. Teach them to obey. Which means we have to get to a place where if, if, if I am not or you are not obedient to what Jesus has called you to do, how he's called you to live, we have to start having conversations. Are you living your life out of convenience or conviction? So what does that mean? Like, can you believe we actually, we've made it optional. Even as Christians, we've made discipleship optional. This is not in my notes, so I could get in trouble. We've, we have made discipleship in Christianity optional. If it's convenient for your time and your schedule, go make disciples. And we sit here and call ourselves disciples of Jesus. We've made it optional to serve. We give a menu of the areas that you can serve. Would you like to serve? Why do we even give ourselves the option? Jesus served and said, do this. Do likewise. Why do we even give ourselves the option? It's optional to even show up here. Really, who's going to call you? Who's going to text you? What's the punishment? What's the consequence? Most churches, meh. They come, we're okay. Regular tender, eh, twice a month. That's good. That's good enough. Someone check their giving report. Are they? Oh, they're good. Let them go. Isn't this what we do? Again, not in my notes. Sorry. This is what we do. Are you living your life? Am I? I'm talking to myself. Most, most. James, M, are you living your life out of conviction or just convenience? Are you following Jesus when it, when it works for you? Or are you following him and you're truly following him because he said, obey, follow me. Follow me. This isn't an option. Work out your salvation. How could we not? If he has truly done a work in you, if the Spirit of God, listen, if the Spirit of God is in you, how could you not be actively working out your salvation? How can you neglect the Spirit of God in you who certainly wants to move you towards the things of Christ? So when we're not actively pursuing the things of Christ, we are actually neglecting the Spirit of God within us. We're silencing him. We're shutting his mouth, closing our ears to his voice. That's what we're doing. This isn't optional. I can't, I cannot, I cannot with conviction, personal conviction, stand up here and tell you anything else. I can't. 
This isn't optional anymore. I'm thankful the majority of people who call this church home, you are active in it. But we cannot make it optional anymore. We can't. There are other places to go. Other churches you can sit in. That's the truth. We cannot lose sight of this. Paul writes here, inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. He's inspired by the Spirit. Meaning meaning that what Paul is encouraging the church to do, what he's encouraging you to do and, and me to do today, is what God himself has said to do. God wants you and I to work out our salvation with fear and trembling as he works in us. But at the same time, you've got to hear me because I just, you know, I, I was yelling. So hear me. At the same time, understand, please don't leave here not understand this, that we are not working for our salvation, but we are working out our salvation. And so, Don't let me convict you. Let the Spirit of God convict you this morning. What does that look like for you in this season? Listen to him. Or let me ask you this way. How would your life change? How would your life change if you started to pursue Jesus and to follow Jesus as if your salvation was all up to you? While at the same time trusting that your salvation is entirely up to him. How would your life change? How would it change? Church family, I'll call you beloved. Beloved, in light of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ and all that he is for us and all that he's doing within us and all that he is preparing for us, Let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling for his ultimate glory and our great joy. Amen? Let me pray for you.